Hello everyone, welcome to Sabbath School from Home, this second episode in our quarter, new quarter on the Psalms. Uh, very glad to be in this recording again. My name's Cameron. And I'm Luke. And this week it's just Luke and I. Uh, the Christmas New Year period is sort of famously busy and we understand that it's busy also for our listeners. So thank you for taking the time out to tune into this. We hope and pray that it will be useful the topic is certainly one that I think Luke will keep us busy. The, the lesson this week talks about um, teach us how to pray. It, re- it refers to passages where the Psalms are uh, endorsed by New Testament writers as a good basis for collective and individual worship. And it, um, it talks about the Lord's Prayer and it uh, talks about the different aspects of the Psalms that inform us on how we ought to pray. And one of the Psalms it refers to is Psalm 44. So let's uh, dive into that. Luke, should we read through the psalm in its entirety and then we can come back and comment? I think that sounds like an excellent idea. I'm, I'm keen. Uh, do you want me to kick off? Yes, please. Yes, so Psalm 44. We have heard it with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago. With your hand you drove out the nations and planted our ancestors. You crushed the peoples and made our ancestors flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. You are my king and my God, who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you we push back our enemies. Through your name we trample our foes. I put no trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory. But you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God we make our boast all day long, and we will praise your name forever. But now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy, and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance, gaining nothing from their sale. You have made us a reproach to our neighbours, the scorn and derision of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, the people shake their heads at us. I live in disgrace all day long, and my face is covered with shame at the taunts of those who reproach and revile me, because of the enemy who is bent on revenge. All this came upon us, though we had not forgotten you. We had not been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back, our feet had not strayed from your path, but you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals. You covered us over with deep darkness. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it, since he knows the secrets of the heart? Yet for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust, our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us, rescue us because of your unfailing love. Yeah. Now, for some reason, I thought there were about 40 verses. And so I thought, I'll read to 20. (laughs) When I got to 20, I saw there was only six left. (laughs) I was enjoying uh, hearing you read through it. And... um, it's a psalm that's definitely in two halves, isn't it? Uh, oh, you know, up, yes. to, up, up to verse 8. Well, it's not really two halves, is it? It's a third and then the last two thirds. But the first yeah, first section is very textbook. It, I think I've observed before that psalms often um, have a... Uh, they, they use a technique that modern management uh, still uses today, whereby you open your bad news for somebody with a compliment. Yeah, because because uh, you want to get them in a good mood before you drop your unpleasant conversation. Yeah, 
which which has the result, of course, of making everyone very distrustful of compliments. <laughs> um. Yes, it it it's it's it can be overdone for sure. Um, but a lot of psalms start with praise. Although, to be fair, there are some psalms as well that start with the complaint or the grief yeah. or the suffering, and they end with praise. We while know, so I'm it's here, not all, it's not all one way. Yeah, while we're there, look, we should mention that in our first season that we did, I think, two episodes where we touched on Psalm 22, which is another one that's referred to in this week's lesson. So listeners can dig back through the scroll through the list on your on your podcast app, and you can find that. It, Psalm 22 is a psalm that starts very dismal and ends uh, yes, that, quite that, positive. Yes, probably the specific example I'm thinking of. Yeah. Because um, there was one we did on the podcast, which, which was... Yeah, so it's way. the, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it finishes by saying, God, you'll save us. And not only will we praise you, but all future generations will praise you. People who are not mm. yet born will praise you because of what you're about to do with us now. Here, this one starts with, you know... Okay, rewind. Uh, we can, of course, look at this psalm just in its own right, but I think it would be useful to adopt the lens provided to us by the lesson writer, um, where we're focusing this week on on teaching us how to pray. What what does this psalm teach us about how to pray? Well, um, the first thing it teaches us, I think, is uh, do not be afraid to throw out some fairly um, brutal accusations of mistreatment. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, the the psalmist is is not. Um, he thinks God done something wrong, yeah, and and unfair, and and he wants it righted. I'm saying he. I don't know who the psalmist was. Yes, yeah. I mean, we. I haven't studied this in depth. We we say the you know David wrote the psalms, but yeah. this one feels like it was written you know during the exile in Babylon yeah. or something like that. Um, you know that section about the the um, being scattered among the nations. Yeah. yeah, that sounds like Babylonian exile, doesn't it? It, it very much does, um, because in the you know there there was certainly military defeats of Israel in, in yeah. the time of David, um, and, and civil strife as well. But uh, they were never scattered. Yeah, yeah, or driven from the 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 land. Um. Reminded, Luke, of when I was at school, I was lucky enough to uh, take part in a school production of The Importance of Being Earnest. And uh, there is a line where two girls who are being very polite to each other but are, you know, giving every possible backhanded, passive-aggressive, you know, they're at each other's throats but doing it politely. Mm. And uh, one of them says at one point, when I see a spade, she's from the country, when I see a spade, I call it a spade. And the the other girl... Um, says very snobbishly, well, I'm pleased to say that I've never seen a spade because she's from the city. Uh, but certainly the psalmist seems quite willing to call a spade a, a spade. I'm reminded this was an observation that came out of a, a previous season. I don't know how long ago, but it was some time ago. Uh, when you look at Job, um, in Job 1, um, Job loses a lot of stuff. Yes. And he, at the end he says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So God, Job, Job did not sin, and he didn't charge God with wrong. Mm. At the uh, in chapter two, when he is himself covered with sores and he's sitting on his scraping with, and his wife says, um, "Curse God and die." Interestingly, Luke, that is ambiguous. It could be, "Bless God and die." Ah, there's there's no well, that is interesting. There's no reason why it has to be cursed. But anyway, that's by the way. Um, 
Job says this, um, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? So in chapter one, Job does not sin and he does not charge God with wrong. Mm. And in chapter two, Job charges God with wrong. And then it says, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Yes, and that, that's I, when I, the stage I is see set. Where you're going. And so what the book of Job, one of the lessons of the book of Job is, is that it is not always wrong to make accusations against God. It's not a sin. Right. Um, uh, I mean, you is, might be wrong. Con- it's consistent with some of the other prayers yeah. that, 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 we, that we have looked at. Um, mm. So, uh, yeah, I, I think... Honestly, it seems pretty first and well, foremost. Well, and, and that's, that's certainly even directly referenced in it because it, the, the psalmist writes about how God knows our hearts. And ah. there's, no, there's no point um, lying because yeah. <laughs> the lie will be immediately known for what it is. Yeah. Um uh, it's it's interesting um to me how little I think when prayer is discussed um that that very important point is emphasized that if you feel unhappy with God there's no point pretending you're not yeah. um because he he knows. Yeah. Um and 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 if you if you have doubts and questions and um you're troubled by something or you don't understand you know um why the suffering some particular suffering has come on some particular group of people or person there's no point pretending that you're not yeah um and there's because a sense, there is there is no deceiving there's a sense of one of the quotes that one of my friends likes to say is and i don't know to whom it's originally attributed um, but uh, the quote is, God is the one great circumstance. Mm. And this is what the psalmist says. The psalmist says, hey, it's for your sake we're being killed all day long. Why are you sleeping, O Lord? In other words, the psalmist is saying, God, you're meant to be the adult in the room. Mm. You're the one who's the one who's grown up. You're the one who's meant to be, you, you're responsible for this world. And when, when you say that to God, that is an act of worship. That is saying, God, I hold mm. you to be God, to make excuses for God, to say, well, you know, well. Yeah, what I mean is sometimes if you make excuses for God, are you just limiting? It's 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 almost displaying a disrespect because yeah, well, it's it's implying that God can't do better. This is this is it. This is this is as good as God's supposedly perfect world gets, and that is a a criticism that a lot of people who have become atheists have kind of leveled at the concept ah. of the Christian God is that, well, if this is the best that God can do, or if this is what God wants to do, which would be even worse, talking about the, the terribly flawed world we live in, yeah. um, then they're either not God or God is incredibly evil. The, well, one of the problems, Luke, and this is something that I've dwelt on, I even took a chapel service on, um, they, you get to the point where you say, well, this world is too evil for me to believe in God. So I won't. I'll, I'll believe that there's no uh, sort of essential meaning to the universe. It just happens to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and thus, there should no longer be any right for me to expect good to happen. And this makes it easier because you say, oh, well, you know, um, what's the, excuse the language, but what's the line from always look on the bright side of life? Um, um, something along with it, I can't remember. Um, uh, anyway. When you uh, think of it. When you think of it, life's a yeah. 
a bit of shit, something like that. Yes. So excuse the language, but you know, so you say, all right, well, yeah, life's just bad, but that's just how it is. So the alternative to believing in God and being outraged at the universe is to say, well, we don't actually have cause for outrage. And when you mm. think of it, that's quite dangerous. You look at the well, world in which people suffer and you say, well, that's just the well, way it is. Well, and, and so in a sense, the atheist who is really incensed that this is the way the world is and how God, how could God let it be like that is more close to the psalmist. Yes, than then the modern Christian who just goes, oh well, it's all part of a plan, and yes, the devil yeah. at something, something, yeah, people's it's, own choices, yeah, um, the devil, uh, they deserve it, um, yeah, you know, God's making, not tempting them beyond what they can right. bear, yeah, um, making making excuses on behalf of God or or trying to explain it away in the most kind of, um. Well, I'm not really trying to explain it. I'm just throwing up something plausible enough yeah. um, that it's suspension like, of disbelief is possible and we can talk about something else because this is uncomfortable. Yeah, and it's like with God's lawyers. And and um, the author of this psalm is a lawyer, but he's on the prosecution side, not the defence. And, mm. and you're right. The atheist who is really genuinely outraged at, at the world has... has um, is operating under a premise other than some, what they claim. So mm. they are operating under the premise that the universe ought not be this way. But if the yes. universe just happened, we have no right to say what it ought to be. So so even the, even the outrage against God for injustice presupposes that there is a way it should be. Mm. Um, and uh, the psalmist acknowledges that. And the psalmist calls God to account. Yeah. I, I find it interesting to ponder, would, would the psalmist recognise the atheist as more of a believer than the I apologist? I don't... I, I, you know, I, you wouldn't want to speculate too much, but yeah. it, it's an interesting you, thought. You could um, imagine a sort of atheism, and I know people who have this sort of atheism. It is an atheism where they, they find it very hard to believe in God, but they are they are absolutely outraged at injustice mm. and they are well, actively working to stop you know injustice against the aboriginal peoples injustice against the environment justice against um you know immigrants that are being kept in indefinite detention mm. um you know there's lots of things that we are sort of collectively responsible for as australians uh, in some sense that um and to some degree that that ought outrageous and i some of the people I know who are most active in this area do not believe in God, but you could imagine God saying, "Do you know what the, the, this person's? I like this per person's atheism. Mm. It's it, it's it's pushing them in the right direction. Um, they're certainly behaving like children of the kingdom." Well, and and yes, well, you have the parable then, of course, of the yeah. two sons, the one yes. one of whom said to their father, "Yes, I'll do it," and then didn't, and the other who said, "I won't." absolutely not yeah get stuffed but then did go and do what the father asked yeah now so that's an interesting question then if you have an atheist who lives the commandments in every way tries really hard to and or is, tries really hard to really mm. believes in them um just doesn't believe in the existence of god um which son are they <laughs> <laughs> well if there's one thing which is totally 
consistent with almost every parable Jesus told about the second coming. And all of his interactions with, including interactions with Roman centurions and uh, Syrophoenician women and his, his comments about people coming from the east and the west and the, you know, and the wedding guests coming, the uninvited guests getting in and the invited ones not getting in. Yeah, you, I, you give a hundred references for this, but it must certainly be the case that when we get to heaven, we will be surprised. Oh, yeah. I'm, I, I, I would count on it. Um, not that I'm making any assumptions that I know what's going to happen in the future, but um, if, if heaven was exactly like um, I can imagine it to be mm. and exactly I, the people I think should be there would yeah. be there, then it wouldn't be heaven because no. I, I'm not capable of conceiving yeah. of genuine perfection. Yeah. Yeah, um, and I don't, I, 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 don't see other people's hearts. Yeah, I, I. Oh, I, that's it, a good it, point. You know, um, yes, yeah. Well, and it, it look, it's something that I've. We're getting a little off topic, but I'm, I'm happy to roll with it. It's, it's something that I have, have made a, a concerted effort in adulthood, to not make assumptions about people's motives. I think yeah. that's really important, especially people I don't know at all, you know, strangers, yeah. you know, yeah. so people on the internet, people. Yeah. Um, it's like Luke, the, the man who's driving down the road and it was a tight windy road, mountain road, and he, he was going around a corner and a woman came around the other way and, you know, there was a bit tight and as, as they squeezed past each other, the woman ran down her window and yelled out, cow, and he was incensed. <laughs> And yelled out, imbecile, and drove around the corner and there was a cow on the road. Yes, exactly so. <laughs> um, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a perfect example. Um, but you, you don't know what other people's motives are. Even if people you know very well, you don't really yeah. know what's in their heart. Yeah. Um, so how on earth could you know a stranger's? motivations you know and it, there's all sorts of value to be had i think you can you can think much better of people when you don't speculate on what their motives might be um or at least you don't automatically jump to yeah the worst possible motive which is the yeah. de- which is what you tend to do yeah if you're not being intentional is you assume that they intended to to call you a cow yeah that's uh, right rather than considering the possibility that maybe they were trying to warn you about a cow yeah yeah. Um, so you know, I think that's a really important. That's the that's the implied half of the um, of of that of that sort of statement that God sees the heart. Yeah. Well, the second half of that statement is you don't, so don't judge. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which uh, just also reminds me, Cam. Have you seen Have you seen that um, that T shirt which says um, it's 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 for lecturers to wear, and, and it says there are two types of students in the world: those who can extrapolate from incomplete data. Yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, quite good. Anyway. Yes, extrapolation when it comes to like people's motives, though, can be can be dangerous, as you've said. Exactly. Um, yeah. Luke, one other thought that jumps out at me from this psalm, in terms of teaching us how to pray, is um, the expectations that this. Uh, that the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. So, um, the I wonder what a mascal is. Is it probably oh, music, about... music or a liturgical uh, uh, term? Uh, yeah. Okay, they probably don't know what it is. Okay. Um, 
Okay, I'm distracted now. Um, the sons of Korah, um, the expectations that they place on God are not based on wish fulfillment necessarily. They're not sort of vague, um, um, wishy-washy, we'd like this to happen, we'll perform the rain dance and then you'll send the rain if we just dance it right. It's it's grounded in a knowledge of how God's worked in the past mm. and it has an awareness of the fact that the way God acts is an interaction between him and his people. And this they're a bit puzzled because they said, we, we haven't forgotten you, but we're still being slaughtered. And we know that you know people who forget you and leave you you know, have to wear the consequences of that. Um, but we haven't done it. And so they are sort of presenting a case to God, but the case is grounded on their knowledge of God's character. Mm. And that's what they appeal to in the final verse, isn't it? Um, redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. In other words, they're saying, God, redeem us. And the reason you should do this is because it is the sort of thing that you'd like to do. Mm. Yeah, I. it's a really good example, this psalm, of how a complaint can be an expression of faith. Yeah. You know, well, like a, a lamentation can be an yeah. expression of faith. That's good, Luke. That needs to be the title of this episode, yeah. complaining as a, expression, a faith in complaints or something, because yeah. we don't, that is not something, an idea that I've heard a lot of from the pulpit, for instance. Well, it, it's, it's not a combination that... Um, well, it's not a concept, rather, that the modern Christianity really ponders much, I don't think. Mm. It, you know, and it's it's that kind of, well, I, I don't want to be pejorative, but it, it almost feels a bit like a cult of positivity, right? Yeah. Where the only expressions of faith are this sort of unrelenting optimism. Yeah. Which is not very biblical, well, it's, it's um, not very factual, is it? I mean, and 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 yes, it does run the risk of sort of detaching from reality, yeah. uh, and certainly striking anybody who's going through a crisis, who's really suffering, yeah. uh, as being very insincere, uh, which, yeah. which it it might not be. You know, it might be being done with the very very best of intentions. Um, but you know, it's that sort of thing where, and I, I've I've seen examples of this with with friends and family where. Um, someone someone's um you know they've just got a cancer diagnosis yeah and and the pastor has visited them and gone oh, well it's all part of god's plan and it's for the best yeah. and and yeah. and this is a blessing when you know, you know and and it's like no you you're like almost telling people you have to find a way to feel good about this yeah, Whereas, yeah. you know, what the Psalms teaches us is it's totally okay to feel terrible and to yeah. demand of God yeah. why this unfair thing has happened. What's the worst that can happen? The worst is God can say, well, this is too complicated for you to understand. Mm. Which okay. is, which, you know, the Job Yeah, which is response. the Job thing. But what was lost by asking God the question? God didn't ab present ab the question. Absolutely nothing. You know, yeah. um, uh, Abraham was not punished by God for trying to save Sodom and Gomorrah. No. You know, Job was not punished by God for for genuinely asking why is this happening? Yeah. Um, the, the, the you know, David was not punished by God for any of his psalms. He was punished for some yeah. of the other stuff he did. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but that's a separate thing. Yeah. You know. Um Luke, there's uh another danger to the cult of positivity which is not 
peculiar to prayer, but any cult of positivity. If your monetary wealth, you know, this idea that you, the self-made millionaire, think positive, you'll find success. Um, if your monetary wealth, if your health, if you're um, standing with God, if you're standing within the church, if your value as a Christian, if the credulity of your faith and the sincerity of your faith and the genuineness of your faith and you, the effectiveness of your faith is dependent on you being buoyant and positive, mm. then when something goes wrong, it's my fault because I wasn't positive enough. And this is why um, an overly optimistic environment is so incredibly depressing. Yes, um, because it puts a lot of pressure on you to to pretend. Yeah. You know, and, and nobody has ever gotten uh, emotionally healthier from um, trying to present outwardly uh, something which is not authentic yeah. <laughs> to who they are and how they're feeling. Yeah. Um, it, you know, so I, I don't see I don't see the psalmist doing that. The psalms are unrelentingly honest. Yeah. Um, One comment that Luke shared, uh, sorry, not Luke, Locke shared last week, <laughs> Luke, which... Um, mm. You weren't with us, unfortunately, for that recording, so I'll share it now. And our listeners will have heard it again, but it's, it's, it ties into this. Um, we were discussing the nature of inspiration and whether the thoughts in the Psalms were inspired because there's some pretty bleak thoughts and there's some pretty violent thoughts. And Locke's comment was maybe the thoughts are not necessarily themselves inspired directly by God, but maybe the impulse to write them down and record them mm. is from God. So God says, hey, you are feeling really cross or you're feeling really hopeful or you're feeling ecstatic or you're feeling despairing write a song about that where you give me where you where you present you yourself as you are to me that deserves to be recorded yeah um and i kind of like that idea that part of the role of inspiration is not necessarily always to provide us with the thoughts that god would have us think because none of us seem to be quite perfect and i'm sure we're mm. going to spend all eternity learning the th ways of thinking that god wants oh, to teach us Cam, but it's a, it's such an important point because it, it touches on the concept of of divine inspiration you know um which which is really important a sort of theological debate in in christianity about yeah. about how to how to read the bible yeah. um, if it's divinely inspired you know um what does that mean about the information in it? Yeah. Um, is it all literally true? Uh, what what does example? literally even mean? Yeah, yeah, well, yes, quite. Yeah. Um, and I think it's it's really important to know that, well, okay, let's say it's, it, it, it's, it's all inspired by God, right? Um, but, there, but, but, but for different purposes. And some things are warnings. And yeah. some things are instructions. And some things are... Uh, object lessons and parables and morality tales um, and some things are historical records yeah um, and some and, things and some, yeah like verse 11 and 12 of this psalm you have made us like sheep for slaughter you have scattered us among the nations you have sold your people for a trifle demanding no high price for them now that may be a literal if this is written in the Babylon exile that would be a good description of what's happened but the inference it is making about God's character or God's inconsistency. God, you've just totally given up on us. You made us mm. taunt of our enemies. People shake their head at us. We're disgraced all the time. Um, is God really in the business of doing that? Does he enjoy or like, 
you would be allowed to feel a little uncomfortable with that. But if if you Indeed. say, well, if you say, well, no, that's actually how the psalmist felt, and mm. the Holy Spirit moved upon that psalmist and said, you know what, God is big enough to take that. Yeah. Write it down. Write it down well, and sing well, it in there church. You go. I mean, there's there's another thing that we we learn from this psalm is that a divinely inspired writer is allowed to record their feelings. Oh, that's just, that's, in fact, that is such a fundamental premise to the whole Psalms. It's what we've well, been skirting around, Luke, but just said more yeah. clearly. You Even the fact you're allowed to, someone said to me the other day with reference to someone who I love dearly who is going through some mental health problems. And um, this friend who'd worked in the mental health industry said, um, it's very difficult growing up. As an Adventist, mm. as an Adventist girl, some people just feel desperately um, poor in their self-esteem because they are not the little angel little Adventist girls are meant to be. Right. Um, so when when you say you are allowed, the key word there is allowed, you, you're actually allowed to talk about it, mm. the way you're actually feeling. Yeah. And, um, and Cam, I'm I'm realizing it's it's not just the Psalms; it's the entire Bible. You think about let's let's say you had a, um, I mean let, let's say you had a, a powerful emperor, yeah. right? And they commissioned someone to write a, a book about them. Yeah. So it it wasn't divinely inspired; it was it was imperially inspired. Yes. All right. Yeah. Um, and this this was an ab- this emperor had absolute power power over life yeah. and death you know yeah. could order the death of, of anybody yeah. and, and it would be carried out in an instant sort of thing yeah. right um, would this would this human emperor um, allow oh, negative yeah. portrayals of themselves in no. the book that was written about them no no historically they don't no uh, we know that that you know history tends to get written by the victors. And the vict- uh, the victorious, and it tends to uniformly portray them yes. in a positive light. I mean, um, I recently, for uh, honestly productive reasons, was reading the um, the Vitruvius's four books of architecture, um, which were written by Vitruvius um, during the time of the Roman Empire, for the present emperor. Um, and and they are they're a construction manual. They're they're, they're books of 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 kind of, kind of oh, a technical instruction manual. Um, but but he opens with a chapter of of the most um, the most shameless flattery. Oh, um, <laughs> and each chapter opens with a sort of passage uh, explaining how awesome the emperor is and how much of a privilege it is to write this this book for him, and. Again, the Bible notably isn't like that. Uh, Luke, the Bible is not like that. Um, uh, but the Bible is like that in the King James. There's an introduction. Um, there's but an not, introduction. But, but not for, with flattery of God. <laughs> no. Um, it talks about popish persons. Um, it says something like this. Uh I'm reading just one section. Humbly craving of your most sacred majesty, because it's the King James Bible, so it's for King yes. James. It was written uh, for King James. Yeah. Yes. That since things of this quality have ever been subject to the censure of ill-meaning and discontented persons, it may receive approbation and patronage from so learned and judicious a prince as your highness is, 
whose allowance and acceptance of our labours shall more honour us and encourage us than all the calumniations and hard interpretations of other men shall dismay us, so that if on one side we shall be traduced by popish persons at home or abroad, who therefore will malign us, because uh, we are in ignorance and darkness, or if on the other side we shall be maligned by self-conceited brethren who run their own ways and give liking unto nothing but what is framed by themselves and hammered on their anvil, we may rest secure, supported within by the truth and innocence of a good conscience, having walked the ways of simplicity and integrity as before the Lord and sustained without by the powerful protection of your majesty's grace and favour. So it's pretty, th- laying it on pretty it's thick la- for King James. On very thick. Um, yeah, so, look, this is fascinating because we, we talk a lot um, as Adventists about how important it is to worship God and praise God. Um, yeah. And that is certainly true. But the psalm, this psalm and the psalms and the Bible in general, as a divinely inspired book, is not flattery. And and subservience, it's not um, in 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 its portrayal of of God. Yeah. Um, you know what sort of what sort of great. Do you know um, it's fascinating, Luke? Not even in the incarnation, there's a few accounts. So one of them is where Jesus says to his mother, "It's not time," mm. and his mum says, "Get with it! It's a wedding. This is someone's important day." We're not going to let you go. Do do what this man tells you, you know. And Jesus just has to sort of toe the line. And mm. but he, Jesus accepts in that instance correction. It is fascinating. The other place is where he's talking with the Syrophoenician woman, um, and he says to her, "Look, ah, uh, you don't take bread from the t- children's the bread from the table and, and give it to the dogs. Give it to the dogs, yes." And she says, "I love the response." She says, "Yes, but the dogs get the leftovers." Mm. And she's saying three things. She's saying, "One, uh, you've got plenty." Um, there's enough to go around. Two, the children don't want it, mm. which and is three, true. The, the dogs do, and the dogs do, and we only need crumbs. Mm. Um, that's how powerful you are. You know, her answer is so good, and Jesus is just super impressed, and he says, "Oh, I tell you, this is this is so." And he commends her to the disciples, and so. And now, I like to think that it may be in both those instances, Jesus knew the way it would go. But, I mean, the fact still remains that God does invite us to be sort of co-designers um, with him. We're, we're working... He really liked it that Abraham yeah. argued with him and he liked it that Moses argued with him. That's a that's a picture of a God that is very much at odds with the autocratic ruler, isn't it? A hundred percent. It contrasts very heavily with the gods and indeed emperors of, of, of you know, Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and... and Phoenicia yeah. and you know the neighbors of 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 the Israelites and it contrasts very heavily sometimes with our own perception and and put you know portrayal of God yeah. and and of the Bible um the the Bible contra- contains unflattering portrayals of God it contains many examples of people criticizing God or complaining to God um, sometimes with justification. Uh, Jesus, uh, you were just mentioning examples where Jesus was corrected. Jesus famously, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yes, exactly. Um, one of the interesting things, though, is, you know, we started on this tangent. The phrase, I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. The phrase that started on this tangent is we usually, we usually, you know, gravitate towards praise and worship, but it's okay to be honest. 
What's fascinating in this psalm, one thing is that it teaches us is a way to be honest without compromising on praise and worship. Mm. So the psalmist here is really honest, but then he says, God, look, this has come up. We, we do not think it's right. What are you doing? Why are you asleep? Rouse yourself. Don't reject us forever. Why hide your face? Why, God, what basis do we have for telling you off? Your own character, who you are. You know, this is act of, This is worship and praise. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Mm. And the, the psalm begins with a statement of God's saving power. And um, even Job, you know, he says, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, and Job is really cross with God. But he knows God is God, and yes. and he appeals to God's character mm. in much the same way the psalmist does. So As the, the psalmist does, and indeed even our our modern atheists appeal to God's character. Yeah, if God is good, this shouldn't be happening. Yeah, why is this happening? And the, the response is: If there is no God, what right do you have to be outraged by it in the first place? Mm. It yeah, that may make more sense to your brain, but then you can't. Then complain about it because all you can it, say is it that something is, or you can say is it's something you personally dislike. But why should that mm. be a basis for, you know, if it's only something you personally dislike, how can it then become some absolute against which you evaluate the merits of whether there's a god or not? What I mean is there's a circular reasoning here, which, which, is it, it is complicated from both directions. Mm. Um, and one of the things that I like about the Bible is the Bible says. Under no circumstances must you lose sight of God's vision for the world. God himself is not happy with it. Yeah. And that's the story of the flood. So for goodness sake, don't you get to the point where you say, uh, some people win, some people lose. That's enough. You know, mm. if it happens, it happens. That's fine. Because, I mean, that, that can lead to complacency where you're just not obliged to help other people um, because, you know, that's how it is. I don't think that the weight of poor people bears heavily on the hearts of Donald Trump. No, probably not. Uh, um, although he would say that he does believe in God, so that's not a, uh, necessarily good. Well, lots of people say they believe. Well, this is that's the, not hard to do. This, the next question then is: Is it really how important is it to bring people to the point where they say they believe in God? If it, if it doesn't seem to be a very reliable proxy oh, for see that that's an interesting rabbit hole to kind of go down because a lot of a lot of um, interpretation we, we were talking about mission in the last quarter and a lot of interpretation of mission sort of revolves around the idea of well, what we need to do is get people to the point that they believe in God hmm. I, is it well though? well. Yeah, what this psalm does suggest is that if you do have, it's not just a sort of belief in God in the abstract. This is an experience right. of God in the past and belonging to a community that it does bring benefit. You have the benefit of being able to bring your troubles to God mm. and to be able to know through faith that he hears them and you can be persistent. Job is persistent for a long time before God shows up, but God does show up. Yes, so we don't know. We don't know that this psalm is the end of the story. We don't know what the psalmist thought about this later on in life, or, or, you know, it it could be that like Job, what what I mean is, um, when we do feel in despair, we feel like we will be there forever, mm. and it's not necessarily true. No, well, it's not. It reminds me of one of my my grandfather's favorite sayings, 
which I discovered just today, quite literally, um, yeah. is apparently an old Persian proverb, right. uh, which means this too shall pass. Right. And, you, you know, it's, it's a great saying um, for times of hardship, but yeah. you'll, like, you'll like this story, Cam. I'll, I'll find it for you. Yeah. Um, just the, the original proverb. Uh, well, the, the, his, the origin of the fable is, is, is a little bit, um, is a, is a, is a little bit unclear, all the rest of it, um, could, could in fact originally be Hebrew. Um, right. but it, w- it was made famous by, um, the English poet Edward Fitzgerald in, yeah. in, in the English speaking world. Yeah. Um, it was who retold this story, which he'd heard from something somewhere, some, some, something in the Middle East. Um, anyway. Um, it basically goes like this. The Sultan asked Solomon for a signet motto that should hold good for adversity or prosperity. Solomon gave him, this also shall pass away. Oh, that's good, isn't it? Yes. So if, <laughs> if, if, if you've got something really good, just remember that it won't last forever. And if you've something going through something really terrible, just remember it won't last forever. And if you, if you in addition, do believe there is a God, and the God is a God who saves... Mm. And that he has a trajectory towards um, increased purpose in the universe. He's bringing about purposes and adds meaning to things. It's not necessarily the same as making everything pleasant. Um, no. But something being meaningless is almost much harder to cope with than something being unpleasant. What I mean is oh, meaningless. Well, very meaningless. Much the case. Yeah, meaninglessness um, is a particularly hard to bear sort of unpleasantness yes no, uh, but if, me. if you Sorry, do believe ahead, finish the thought. yeah if you do believe that there's a god out there and you believe that these things shall pass um they are not passing uh in a way that is meaningless they are that the, the, there is a trajectory mm. and the good times pass and the poor times pass but through them god is leading us somewhere yes they'll pass because we are moving on a journey we're not yeah that's going somewhere yeah we are not and stuck in in a meaningless yeah directionless um permanent sort of yeah. state that, that that is that is impossible to get out of um re- reminds me um i re- recently heard about an a, an american um i was reading about him in a book um and it was on it was just it was on the topic of sort of um character and toughness and the the ability to mm. endure hard situations mm. and um uh in in the same chapter there was an anecdote about how um someone had hired a, a vietnam veteran who had escaped from or a world war ii veteran or something i think it was a world war ii veteran who'd escaped from from a pow camp twice mm. who had no qualifications for the job whatsoever mm. But but the guy decided to hire him just on the basis that if he could escape from a POW camp twice, he could probably deal with pretty much anything else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently, know. he was very good at the job. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but, but 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 so this that would this be p- an amazing thing to be able to put on your CV. Oh yeah. Um. Al- although not an amazing thing to. Oh. Um. To, Luke, to to have experienced before yeah. you put it on. Luke, your CV. wouldn't it be amazing if everyone's CV. Like, by some, there was a magic CV fairy. I'm way off topic now, but imagine if there was a magic CV fairy that that um, magically transformed every CV to a list of the actual qualities of the person that would impact their ability to do the job. I tell you what, there there'd be a, there'd be a 
lot uh, companies would run a lot better. Yeah, <laughs> the hiring process would. Improve I wonder what the CVs would look like. I wonder what um, the CVs would look like. Um, this man, um, I don't know, is cruel to his dog, or this man stops and picks yeah. up litter, or you know, I wonder what yeah. what would be the most five most important things you this, could say about this a person. woman is actually the only thing holding her family together, and she's raising yeah. six children. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, it it's. Uh, it, it's an interesting thought. Again, yeah. God, God sees the heart. But um, what I was going to say was there, there was a, um, it was a Vietnam veteran, yeah. and and he, 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 you could look, you could look him up on the basis. I can't remember his name, which is a disservice and a disrespect, and I'm sorry. Um, but he was the highest ranking American POW in in Vietnam, and mm-hmm. he's famous. He's famous for helping. Um, POWs kind of survive and get through it and looking out for them and, and putting his life yep. on the line to to make things as least bad as possible that he could yep. for them. Yep. Um, but um, somebody interviewed him and, and asked him, you know, like, you know, on the topics of sort of, well, how, how it was so terrible and how did you survive and all the rest of it? Um, and and it, it was really interesting because he said that, um, like, there were two things which you needed to survive. One was this kind of unshakable belief that you were going to get through. It was going to end, right? So that's mm. the faith, right? Mm. Um, this, this applies very well in a theology. This, this is actually what the psalmist in Psalm 44 is like. It's, it's kind of yeah, unshakable belief that it will pass. You will get yeah. through. You will survive. You are going to get out. This is not going to go forever, and you're not going to die here, right? Yeah. But he said the second thing you need is a really, really clear-eyed view of just how bad everything is. And he said ah. the people who died the fastest and the soonest in the concentration camps were the yeah. optimists. Yeah, that's the one. The well. ones who were going, we'll be, we'll be out by Christmas. We'll be out in a month. We'll be out soon, right? Yeah. Because when it didn't happen, the disappointment just killed them. Yeah. Oh, there's so much wisdom in that, Luke. Luke, I'm eyeing the clock, and I'm going to suggest a sort of a summary uh, of what we've said. In I the think context... that's, a, that's a very good idea. Do you want to take... T- Sorry, I've interrupted yeah. you again. You Go, no, go ahead. I'll, I'll do my summary. You can give your summary. Well, I was going to say, do we want to do it this way? Do you want to take turns saying one thing that Psalm 44 teaches us uh, about prayer yeah until until we've run out of of things that we've learned okay um one thing is uh you should write down a list of the things you would pray if you were allowed to and pray those mm. well mine's very similar but i'm going to count it as a separate one which is that that prayer should be rigorously brutally honest about how you feel and about how things are there's no um, point sugarcoating it to either yourself or god but there is a history of God's involvement in our lives personally and collectively that we can draw on. So one thing we can learn when we pray is that we can appeal to God for who he is. Mm. Yes, which is a tremendous expression of faith that the psalmist of, of Psalm 44 demonstrates. Faith in the goodness of God, yeah. even in the face of, of inexplicably horrible circumstances. Yeah, and that, that's a way of worshipping God. When you say, God, please make yourself responsible. I want you to... You're the sort of person that I would like to be responsible for what happens here. That is that is praise and worship of the highest degree. Now, isn't it interesting to consider the phrase, your will be done in that context? Yeah. As well. 
Yeah, someone's um, will is going to be done, God, and I'd really want it to be yours. I really want it to be yours, so you do it, please. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, may he do it. Yeah. And uh, all of us go through uh, trials and troubles. Um, I have my own fair share of them at the moment. Um, and I know Luke, and I mean, everyone's doing it tough at the moment uh, for a variety of reasons. And uh, so, yeah, I think this is a very relevant psalm. It's a good one to think about. Are we mm. we might leave it there, Luke. Um, please email us if you have any thoughts, sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. And um, share this podcast with anyone who you feel would benefit. And please join us again for our next episode.